Micah, if you will, chapter 11. Uh, I saw uh, Marissa. I wanted to mention, for those of you that that wanted to know that uh, the... I also want you all to pray for someone who uh, was a part of our church many, many years ago, and he was just a little boy. Uh, he's going to college now in Arizona. His uh, father is... Uh, a uh, dear friend of, of ours, uh, Robert Castro, he's the assistant pastor of Calvary Chapel in um, uh, Casa Grande. I know it's Casa Grande, but that's how they say it in, in Arizona. Casa Grande, Arizona. Anyway, his son Joshua uh, is a student at uh, Northern Arizona University. He's getting ready to graduate as well as getting, getting married. But uh, we just found out that Joshua, or Josh, has... Uh, um, they found cancer in him. And uh, so uh, I talked to Robert today. They've already done a, an operation on him and have removed most, if not all, of the cancer. But now he has to go through some treatments like radiation uh, or chemo. So they're not sure. So at a person that's in his early 20s, I mean, that's, that's a very hard thing to have to deal with. So if you'll please keep Josh... Uh, Castro in your prayers. I would really appreciate it. And I know they would too. And uh, they've been a blessing to us uh, when they were actively involved here in, in El Paso. And, and um, I did talk to Robert this morning and he said that Josh is doing, doing good. He's continuing on with his plans for his, his wedding and all. But uh, I know that it, it brings a lot of of concern to the whole family. So we want to back them up in prayer tonight. Okay. Um, Jeremiah chapter 11. Why don't we go ahead and pray now and then we'll get right into our study this evening. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and so blessed to know that you care about everything in our lives, about every aspect of our walk and of our being. And we pray, Father, for the blessing and outpouring of your Holy Spirit tonight to awaken us through your word, to teach us. May we be receptive, Lord, to the things that you have for us today. We ask, Father God, that you will help us to understand your word. Because we want to be able to apply your word on a daily basis in our lives. We come before you this evening to pray for uh, Josh uh, Castro. And we ask, Lord, for the blessing of your Holy Spirit to touch him physically, Lord, that he will be healed completely of this cancer uh, we, we ask, Lord God, that you'll protect him. I know that uh, there are some uh, certain concerns about uh, things in his body. And, and, uh, and as we uh, know that he is uh, you know, not only preparing to graduate from college, but also to get married, that, uh, Lord, he uh, just wants the assurance in his heart to continue on in, in the things that you have raised him up to do. I thank you, Lord God, that he has a heart for worship and is a worship leader and he, he loves to, to, to lead others in, in, to your throne of grace. And so, 
We just ask you, Lord, that he'll just continue on in the things that you have called him to do. That you'd protect him, Lord, through whatever treatments he may need to go through, if any at all, we pray that he doesn't. But Lord, we know that you have him in your hands and we, we rest him in your hands tonight. And we give you thanks for the opportunity, Lord, to come to your throne of grace in our times of need. And I know that there's others here tonight that we want to pray for. And, and this is a, a time where we can be reflective and, and, and listen to our hearts and, and to the burdens of others. We pray for Doreen Brown as well, Lord, going through this uh, experience of having um, lost her husband uh, to cancer. And, and yet uh, to know that he is safe in your arms right now because of his knowledge of you. And so, Father, we pray for comfort to the whole of Dan's family. May you bless them, watch over them this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Jeremiah, chapter 11. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace saying, Obey my voice, and do according to all that I command you. So shall you be my people, and I will be your God, that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. A lot was taking place in the world of the Middle East at the time of the onset of chapter 11. The Assyrian Empire that had taken the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity was a fading, falling star. The Babylonian Empire that was poised to take the southern kingdom of Judah into its own captivity and exile was a rising, resilient star on the planetary horizon of nations. Egypt led by Pharaoh Necho, or Necho the king, was seeking to destroy the Babylonians before they became too mighty and powerful. Well, interestingly and ironically, Judah's good king, Josiah, was expressly told by the Lord not to ally or to get involved with Egypt against the Babylonians. And in Second Chronicles chapter 35, verses 20 through 23, and this is all important for us to, to have as, as background and, and understanding where we're going uh, from chapter 11 on. We are told in Second Chronicles 35, 20, After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Karshemish by the Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house with which I have war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. 
Now that's a pagan king telling the good king Josiah to butt out of this problem, this situation. And then in verse 22 it says, Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but, but disguised himself so he might fight with him. And did not heed the words of Nico from the mouth of God. So he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. Now, meddling in things that don't pertain to us gets us into more trouble than we need to be in. Don't you agree? And a number of people are more than ready to express their opinions or, or to stand up for their rights only to lose a part of themselves in the long run. Josiah was a good king, but he died in a battle that he had no right or reason to fight. And the kingdom of Judah was facing a similar outcome. Losing themselves for their, for their stubborn and stiff-necked disobedience and arrogant insistence in holding on to their idols. What should have been Josiah's revival only ended up being Josiah's reformation. Now, you have to understand there is a difference between a revival, a true revival, and a reformation. A true revival, of course, comes from God. It's just something that God moves upon the hearts of many people, whether in a church or whether in a, in a community of believers, but nonetheless changes the hearts of men. A reformation, most of the time, is what man tries to accomplish in changing certain ways of doing things or certain patterns of, of living that, that need to be changed, certain behaviors that need to be changed from, from the way they are to something different. So what should have been a revival actually became a reformation. Now, a revival would have focused on a change of heart, but reformation only produced an outward obedience to the law. But the heart was far from changed. And the hearts of the people were far from changed, even after the reforms that Josiah brought to Judah. You see, Jeremiah, throughout the extent of his ministry, had to deal with the shallowness of the unrepentant human heart, especially of his own people. And now I mention these things about Josiah because this fourth message of Jeremiah more than likely dates back to 621 B.C., six years after the prophet began his ministry. It was at that time that uh, the temple renovations began under Josiah, and the book of the law was rediscovered in the temple. And you can read that in Second Chronicles 34. When the lost book of the law was found, the king had it read out loud to the people. Now turn to Second Chronicles 34 for just a moment. Because you need to see what he is saying and what is being said to the people and what he is having them to focus upon in the reading and the rereading as, uh, actually of the law. But in Second Chronicles 34 verse 29, it says, Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord 
and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. I want you to notice that it says his heart and his soul. He was ready to change. And then it says to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. But then notice verse 32. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. Now that sounds good. Sounds like a good thing to do. Alright people, you're all going to take a stand here. But I want you to notice that he was the one who changed his heart. The others just listened to what he said. So they took a stand. I think it will be clear in another passage that we'll read in just a moment. And again, this is very important for you to understand. He made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. Those were the two tribes of the southern kingdom. And one more thing before we move on from this. We can't make anybody say a prayer to be saved and expect that they are going to be completely and totally belonging to Christ. You understand now the importance of a heart change rather than having people take a particular stand just because you tell them to. It is important then to note that chapter 11 begins a new section. Well, I haven't finished reading it, but let's finish reading 32. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. That sounds pretty promising, but you'll see in just a moment that, again, it requires the heart. Thus, Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. Do you notice again what he said? He made all the people present in Israel diligently serve the Lord. He made them. It wasn't their heart. It wasn't their surrender. It was He was king and he says, you're going to do what it says. Again, they were doing the outward, but the inward hadn't changed. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. And once again, let, let, me, let me put it in this particular way. I, I don't, we don't make you guys sing. If you, you, you sing if you want to sing when we worship the Lord. When we pray, we, we don't make you pray. We're hoping and praying that you are surrendered unto God enough to hear what God is saying to you and then you being uh, a part of the, uh, uh, the body of Christ and a part of the church, you know, to respond because you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You see, but nobody's forced to do it. Why should we force you to do something that eventually, I mean, you're going to be judged for? Your heart's far from God, but you're, you're doing the outward thing. And we don't want anybody in trouble, see. You've got to want to worship the Lord. You've got to want to serve the Lord. You've got to want to do it with all your heart. See, Josiah did that for himself. But then he made the people do these things. So now, getting back to chapter 11, and we're going to come back to this thought in just a moment, but, but it's important to note that chapter 11 does begin a new section that seems to open up during the end of Josiah's reign, and while some commentators believe this word came at the beginning of Zedekiah's reign, which is his son, while others believe that it came in Jehoiakim's reign, another son, the call was what it had always been since the day the Lord redeemed his people from the bondage in Egypt. The very same call, the very same covenant. What was it? Obey my voice and obey my word. It was the same call back in the time of Egypt. It was the same call at the time of Josiah. Obey my word, obey my voice. Okay, with that in mind, let's look at verses 1-5 through again. 
of Jeremiah 11, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not obey the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers in the day I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Obey my voice and do according to all that I command you, so shall you be my people and I will be your God, (coughs) that I may establish the oath which I have sworn to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is this day. And I answered and said, So be it, Lord. Jeremiah says to him, Amen. That's what he's saying. Amen. Let it be. So the focus is on Judah's broken covenant with their God. This is what the focus is going to be as we get into chapter 11. First of all, the Lord told Jeremiah to listen to the words and the requirements and the conditions of the covenant and then relate those terms to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, in particular to the men. The king and the people had publicly promised the Lord that they would obey the terms and covenants, or I should say, the terms and conditions of the covenant. Now, go to 2 Kings chapter 23. This is somewhat of a rereading of what we read in 2 Chronicles, and then you're going to see what I was, what I was saying. 2 Kings verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 23, verse 1. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of, the Ju- of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with all the inhabitants of Ju- Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which he had found in the house of the Lord. And then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. To follow the Lord. Now notice again, the king stood by a pillar, made a covenant before the Lord, to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. But it was his heart, it was his soul. Again, singularly. The people took a stand because he took the stand. Now I'm sure and without a doubt that the king was sincere. But with most of the people, their obedience was only a matter of going along with the crowd and doing what was popular. By the way, the covenant spoken of here is the Mosaic covenant. And the basis of that covenant was that, uh, the, that the Israelites would inherit the land if they were obedient to God and His commandments. Now, the book of Deuteronomy plays a very important role here. We'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But, but you all know this from what we've been studying the last five weeks in, in, in the parenting uh, uh, series. Time and again, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So there, there is that, you know, that is the, that's one of the uh, statements that need to be made to the people. If you're going to love me, you've got to love me with all your heart. So God's not forcing that upon them, but saying that if you're going to love me. Now what does God do to show himself strong on their behalf? Why he delivers them out of the bondage of Egypt? He's the pillar of, a pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. 
he, he does things, he, he gives them food when they had no food, he gives them water when they had no water, brings them to a place where he turns the, you know, the uh, bitter water sweet. God did so much for them to say, we want to love you, Lord, and we want to serve you from our hearts to him. So think, think about that as you, as you come to understanding when I say that jo- Josiah said, I love you, Lord, and I want to serve you, and I, I'm giving you my heart. And he tells the people, we need to take a stand here. But they take the stand, but their hearts aren't there. We see no mention of that, you see. Maybe some, but very few. If at all a remnant. But what Jeremiah teaches us, that nobody really <laughs> made that commitment to God except Josiah. And then after Josiah was his sons who were bad kings anyway. We'll see that in a moment. Well, this is the Mosaic Covenant that's being mentioned here. And the history of the Jews is a record of covenants. The history of the Jews is a record of covenants. You're going to go all the way back to the, you know, the, uh, the covenant with Adam. Then there was a covenant with Noah and the covenant with Abraham, so on and so forth. Uh, the Lord made a covenant, as I said, with Abraham when he called him to leave Ur of the Chaldees and to go to Canaan. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm not going to give you all the covenants, but, but this is an important covenant uh, to see. An agreement. A contract, in essence. But notice it says, Now the Lord has said, had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, God confirmed this covenant to Isaac as well as to Jacob. This is one reason why we oftentimes say that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were actually confirmed under this same particular covenant. And, and, and the, the aim, of course, of the covenant was to come, was that that line of Messiah was going to come through the line of Isaac and especially Jacob. So this was an important uh, covenant. Genesis chapter 26 and, and Genesis chapter 35. Those are the two covenants respectively of Isaac and of Jacob. In, in other words, the confirmation of this Abrahamic covenant. Well, this Abrahamic covenant was the basis for all the blessings that Israel had received from the Lord. But now at Sinai, Mount Sinai, God had entered into another covenant with Israel. One that involved obedience to his holy law. So in Exodus 19 verse 5, you see this statement. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now what, what, one thing we can learn about covenants is this. Is this a Unconditional covenant or a conditional covenant? From two words, we know it's a conditional covenant. The word if and then. If you will indeed obey my voice. If you obey my voice, then you shall be a special treasure. So if you do this, then you'll receive the blessing. That's conditional. That's a condition. And that while the people agreed to obey the Lord, notice in, in, in verse 8 of Exodus 19, the people said, we'll do it. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Well, while the people agreed to obey the Lord, it didn't take long before they disobeyed. So you go from chapter 19 all the way to chapter 32, and you think, well, they were doing so good. In 32, what did they do? In chapter 32 of Exodus, they worshipped the idol of gold that they had made. They'd even forced Aaron, the brother of Moses, to help them because he was a craftsman. To help them form and shape this idol that they perceived in their minds and hearts to be the God that they were worshipping. But remember, what was the, what was the uh, commandment? Thou shalt not make any carved images to worship. So, when God finishes speaking to Jeremiah now, back to where we are. The prophet in verse 5 of our text, the prophet responds with an amen. In other words, you know, he says, let it be so. Let it be so. Let the persistent, incurable, hopeless beware of your threatenings. Because that's what verses 1 through 5 is about. It is bringing them the understanding that they're, go- they're, breaking, the- they're breaking the very covenant that God had made with them. And, and it, that takes us back, and we'll see it in a moment in Deuteronomy chapter 28, because in, the, in, in Deuteronomy 28 we see that the, the mentions of blessings and curses. We've already read a little bit of that uh, earlier, but we'll, we'll see a little bit more as we go on. Verses 6 to 8 now, let's go to our text. Uh, Jeremiah 11, 6 to 8. Then the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. So... He's giving them an opportunity. You can call it another chance. He's giving them a second chance to get right with God and to do the law and to do what's right in the law so that they can receive blessing and not cursing. You see, God is not just uh, uh, capriciously or or just, you know, uh, without any thought, just trying to come down on them. It's the way a lot of people think about God. How many times does God give them an opportunity to get right? And he lays that before him. Here's the word. Here's the law. Hear the words. Here's the covenant that I made with you. Do what it says. For I earnestly exhorted your fathers in the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt until this day, rising early and exhorting, saying, Obey my voice. He exhorted them constantly, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed, notice, the dictates of his evil heart. Now we know where their hearts are at. If you have a good king that brings about blessing from God, you're, you're, you're bound to do the good things that he says so that you can receive the blessing as well. But as soon as that king dies, where did everybody go? Where was the example of a heart that was given totally and completely to God? And, the, and again, you know, we, we've mentioned this. Every time we see this kind of thing where it says they follow the dictates of their heart, count how many times the word heart, uh, I already gave you that lesson in the first week, <laughs> but count how many times that the word heart is found in the book of Jeremiah. See, it's all about the heart. It's all about our commitment from the heart unto God. And he says, uh, Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but which they have not done. Therefore coming to them will be the curse, not the blessing. 
So we know that God spoke to His people by the prophets, exhorting His people to walk in His ways and to keep the covenant. The reality is, all God was asking them to do is to keep what they themselves had promised Him. We'll do all the law. Exodus 19, verse 8. They said, we'll do it. So God is just asking them to do what they, what they promised they would do. And they're not doing it. So they're breaking the law. It's not God who's just getting angry at them. God has given them the opportunity. If you do this, I'll bless you. I don't know about you, but I tell you what, you know, in, in 30... Oh my God. 38... Oh, 37, 37 years of, of knowing Jesus. I, I tell you what... I, I'd rather have blessings than curses, you know. I appreciate the blessings that God gives. And I don't worry about the curses. They've been taken care of at the cross. See what a wonderful thing that is? But the fact of the matter is, I want to stay near the heart of Christ. I want to stay near Jesus. I don't want to be moving everywhere, which way, just, you know, you know mess up and then say, oh, God, please, you know, don't curse me. I'm not here to curse you, but the fact of the matter is, if you just simply love me and obey me, you'll be blessed. No matter what you face in this life, I'll bless you. It just seems so easy. We make it so hard. Well, let me tell you this. It's the flesh, isn't it? The flesh, three things the Bible teaches us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things make it so hard. <coughs> but how much do you love the Lord? But you'll say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'm going to commit myself. It's not my strength. I need your strength. We have to have a heart of, of Paul who said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is how we do it. Oh, Lord, I'm having evil thoughts. Well, you know what? Don't have them. You understand? God's given you his strength, so you don't have to have them. Okay, well, I'm... I'm giving away something from Sunday. Better not do that. I want you to come Sunday. (laughs) So they refused and they turned from him, as verse 8 suggests, of uh, Jeremiah 11. It wasn't a surprise announcement by God to his people. It wasn't a surprise. By the way, consider what the Lord said to them prior to their entering the land. Now go to Deuteronomy 28. This was no surprise. They had the law. And then they, they found the law again. They, re-read, they reread it, as it were. It sounds funny. Re-re-re-re. They reread it. And, and so they, they knew what the law was saying. Deuteronomy 28, verses 64 through 68. It says, And the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods. He says, you know, if, if, when you take your eyes off, he's not saying if, he says when you do this. What's, what's the one thing that some people say will never happen to me? Oh, that's not going to happen to us. God's just trying to scare us. God's just trying to get us, you know, get our attention, you know. That's not going to happen to us. We're, we're better than that. We're good church people. We tithe all the time. He says this is going to happen. The Lord will scatter you. And there you shall serve other gods which, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Wood and stone. And among these nations you shall find no rest. 
nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. It's like, I don't want to live this day. You understand what he's saying? I want to live this day. That was their captivity in Assyria, their captivity in Babylon, their captivities under the Romans. I mean, you can go on and on and on, every captivity. And the sad part about it, they were in their own captivities in modern times. And they had to go through the anguish of the hatred of people and what we know as the Holocaust. Folks, it stretches all the way through the history of, of Israel. God loves these people. God loves them. They're his people. He chose them. But he's telling them, it's not if, but when. But if you will, listen. Then I'll bless. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. At the evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. There's some very interesting stories told of the Jews who were trying to get to the land that was called Palestine at the time. It was being overseen by, well, at one time, the Turks and then, and then Britain. They would come in ships. And they would be rerouted and sent away. They wouldn't allow the Jews to get back to their homeland. God's hand brought them back. That's why we know that God's, God's hand is, is still working and that God's people are still his people. Some people don't want to believe that, but it is. It is true. But this is exactly what happened to Judah as they disobeyed the Lord. Before the final assault by Babylon, many Jews fled, fled to Egypt. And this is one of the things. During that time, many Jews left early and they fled on their own. And they went back to Egypt. What was Egypt to them? It was bitterness. It was slavery. And back, back in the 70s, uh, Keith Green wrote a song. Uh, he said, do you want to go back to Egypt? Do you want to go back to the thing? You know, you know, the Jews had a selective memory. If you remember back in, after the Exodus, and they went out into the wilderness, they had a selective memory. You know what they were saying? Oh, that we could go back to, that we could go all the way back to, uh, to Egypt, you know, oh, they had the onions and the leeks and the, the garlic. They had all the good flavorful stuff. Oh, we need to get back to Egypt. They forgot that they were beaten. They were enslaved. Many times they were killed. For 400 years, over 400 years. You see, it's easy to forget that when you're out there not trusting the Lord. You know, if you just trusted the Lord, you don't have to go back to the world. Egypt's a type of the world. 
Egypt's the type of the world that says, you know, hey, you know, it was, oh, it was so much, we had so much fun in the world. Man, they were singing and dancing and drinking and playing and eating and eating and this and that. And, you know, we just, oh. You know, because we think, well, you know, this Christian life, what is it? Well, you know what it is? Basically, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's not about, it's not about us. It's about what He did on the cross for us. For an eternity of life with Him. That made me jump and shout, but not in the way we did in the world. I couldn't jump and shout anyway. I couldn't get off the ground. The fact of the matter is, we've got to trust the Lord. It's not about us. In fact, after the captivity began, Jeremiah goes down to Egypt and ministers to those Jews that went to Egypt before the captivity. It's so sad to see all that the Lord had had for them. God had so much for them. And yet because of their actions and their choices, by the way, their choices and their actions, they found themselves once again in bondage. So like then, people today have heard what God has said, but but they really don't believe it because their actions speak contrary to their words. And because of that, people will have their ears tickled rather than hearing the truths of God because then they don't have to act upon them. They've become comfortable living in their rebellion against God. This was a whole nation. But it happens today. People want their ears tickled rather than to hear the truths of God's Word because they think they don't have to act upon them because they're comfortable in their rebellion. Well, you can be sure that the God who has judged sin will continue to do so. You can be sure that the God who who has judged sin will continue to do so. And so when we get into verse 11 of Jeremiah 11, it says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will surely bring calamity on them which they will not be able to escape. And though they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Now, this is, this is hard for us to hear sometimes. But God is making the case. I'm not listening to them. Why? Because time and again I've spoken to them and they didn't listen to me. They didn't respect me. They didn't reverence me. They didn't worship me. They didn't praise me. They didn't give me the honor. They didn't give me the glory. You know, there's only one perfect being that deserves all the honor and glory. And he's not being arrogant when he says, I'm worthy of it. That's God himself. I will bring calamity on them, which they will not be able to escape. Though they cry out to me, I'll not listen. Then the cities of Judah, verse 12, then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they offer incense. But they will not save them at all in the time of their trouble. Why? Because they're just wooden stone. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have mouths, they can't speak. For according to the number, and look, look at verse 13, for according to the, to the number of, the, of your cities were your gods. As many cities as you had, that's how many gods you had, O Judah. And according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing. Altars to burn incense to Baal. 
As many streets as are in Jerusalem, that's how many altars they had to the worship of Baal. It had become so bad that they had as many gods as they had cities. They had altars set up on every street to worship these gods. This was probably after the reign of Josiah and during the reigns of his sons Jehoahaz and Jehoiakim who reigned for three months and eleven years respectively. Uh, Jehoahaz, three months, eleven years uh, for Jehoiakim respectively. These men, of course, were, were very wicked and not at all like their father which is a sad picture of a nation that was involved in all-out idolatry from their leaders to the common people. And it's interesting that even in the New Testament, there are warnings to believers. And it's important for us as believers to take heed of those warnings. For example, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31, it says, For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth. Listen, understand what it means to sin willfully. It it is not as if somebody is a believer in Jesus Christ, makes a boo-boo, does something wrong, says something wrong, and and then really immediately receives that conviction of the Holy Spirit. It says, oh man, I, I really blew it. I was in the flesh. And you want to go back and you want to apologize. Well, in, re- in reality, it's not a matter of apologizing. It's a matter of, of, of seeking forgiveness by repenting of your sin. You know, those, those are biblical terms. Apology is not, you know. You can, oh, I'm sorry. You know, are you really sorry? The fact is, if you repent of your sin, I mean, you're showing the sorrow of your heart that you did something that hurt someone. So that's what you, you do. But if you sin willfully, that means you sin with intent and not only then with intent, but then you sin habitually. So there is then that thing that you're doing it all the time anyway. And because of that, you are doing some cover-up work, you see. Which brings you to that place where Jesus would call you a hypocrite. Putting on a mask, on the outside it's this, and on the inside it's uh, you know. So, so you, get, you get the picture. If we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That's, that's a tremendous statement. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He even mentions Moses in the law. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. This tells me something about the people who do these things. Their hearts aren't right. Their hearts aren't toward God. Their hearts don't really love God. Their mouths may have said some words, but their hearts have said nothing in respect to God, in respect to His holiness, in respect to His awesomeness. And notice as it goes on, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge His people. And then He says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What's our fear? If we're believers in Jesus Christ who love the Lord and and, and honor Him, as we've spoken of in the fear of the Lord, which is reverence Him, respect Him, and, and see Him as a holy, awesome God, 
and approach him in that manner. Then that's where our fear lies. It's in him, not in the fearful thing of falling into the hands of, a living, of the living God from that standpoint of doing things willfully and habitually against God. It just reveals where the heart really is. Can Christians sin? Of course Christians can. We're all sinners. Do we make mistakes? We've made mistakes. Does God forgive us? He already has forgiven us. That's what he shed his blood for. Once for all. The book of uh, Hebrews teaches us that too, doesn't it? But the point of the matter is, this is revealing an aspect of a person's heart that is far from God. But yet they've received the knowledge of the truth. And I want to ask you, have you received the knowledge of the truth? But have you received the wisdom of the truth? A lot of people can know truth. But do you understand it? Do you take its instructions seriously? Do you ask for God's wisdom to live out your life right? Consider for just a moment a couple of things. Because we will all face God's judgment, but we don't have to be condemned. I want to say that again, because this is the encouraging aspect of what we've just been talking about. We will all face God's judgment. The Bible is clear about that. We will all face God's judgment, but we, all don't, have, we don't have to be condemned. We don't have to be condemned. Hebrews 9, if you're still there in Hebrews, go to 9, verses 27 28. Most of you are familiar with this verse. It says, And as, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Verse 28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, what's the key in that verse? <laughs> to those who eagerly wait for Him. Who's eagerly waiting for Jesus today? Those who know Jesus, those who love Jesus, those who have drawn close to the heart of God, those who can't wait for Him to return, those who are willing to do everything that He says to do until that day, and yet still looks up to the clouds and says, you know, today, you know, could be the day. We love His appearing. We can't wait for His appearing. But we're going to serve Him until that day. Eagerly waiting for the Lord. I, I just don't, I don't get it where a lot of people are trying today tell you about what's good about this earth and what's good about what we can have here and what we can earn here and what we can live here with and blah, 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 this and that about here. I don't care about here. I care about heaven and, and eternity. Because God gives us what we need here. Is anybody lacking anything tonight? I don't, you look pretty healthy to me. I think He's blessed you already. More than we could ever know. More than we could ever say. But I don't hunger for this world. I don't hunger for the things of this world. I don't hunger for something else. I just want to see Jesus. I want you to want to see Jesus. This isn't in my notes, but turn to 1 John. I'm not, I haven't finished and I don't know what's going to happen here. But turn to 1 John chapter 3. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 
verses 1 through 3. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. No, no, uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3. That's chapter 1. See, it wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and his, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And notice this, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, we need to teach people that Jesus is coming. We need to tell people Jesus can come at any moment. And we need to be ready for that. But the fact of the matter is, you have to have this hope in, in Christ. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he's pure. There was some great preacher, and I'm trying to remember, I think it was Donald Gray Barnhouse. <coughs> and people would come to when people would come to to him to you know want to talk uh, about prophetic issues. He says, you know what? If 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 you don't understand First John three verse three, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. He said, we're not going to talk till you know that verse because that's what it's all about. Having that hope in Him, you see. I got to figure out where I'm at. Oh yeah, Hebrews nine, verse 20, twenty-eight. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time. Isn't that a wonderful hope? Isn't that an encouragement? If you're waiting, are you waiting for Christ? I'll tell you what a lot of people are waiting for today: refund checks. Waiting for, you know, tax breaks. Waiting for all kinds of stuff. Trambias, you know, and stuff like that. We're waiting, waiting for all kinds of stuff. But you know what? We need to be waiting for Jesus. And eagerly be waiting for the Lord. And then to look at John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Again, something that is encouraging about the fact that we will all face judgment, but we don't have to be condemned. John 3, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's speaking of His first coming, by the way. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And don't think that that belief is just to have a mental assent to His being here. Because if you read James chapter 2, it tells us there that even the demons believe and they tremble. The demons believe. But we have to believe better than the demons, don't we? We have to have more than a mental assent to the truth that, uh, you know, that we believe in Christ. It has to be a knowledge, an intimate knowledge, a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, we arrive now at the second time that the Lord tells Jeremiah not to pray for his people. Let's, we gotta move on here. Uh, Jeremiah 11, I wanna get y'all out before 11 tonight. Jeremiah 11, <laughs> I just said 11 because we're in chapter 11. 
But we won't take, we won't be that long. Jeremiah 11 verse 14 says, So do not pray for this people. Remember, we've already seen that before where he tells them not to pray for this people. Or lift up a cry or pray for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. Save your breath, Jeremiah. Don't pray for them. As harsh as all of this may sound, even to make people wonder whether this sounds like a God of love or not, the fact is we are not to forget or misunderstand the patience and the long-suffering of God. How long was God patient with them to get to this point? It wasn't overnight. It was between the time of, of Jeremiah going all the way back to when? The giving of the law. And even of the re-giving of the law in Deuteronomy. And from that time, how long has God been patient with His people? So you don't, you, you don't look at God as being somebody who's just angry because His people just don't do things with, at the drop of a hat. He has been long-suffering and patient with His people over hundreds of years. But there does come a point that God's grace does come to an end, and if people have rejected it, it will be too late. Do not harden your hearts toward God because today, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 1 and 2, Paul said, We then as workers together with Him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, Paul says, now is the acceptable or the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What are people waiting for? What are people waiting for? I think we see this thought expounded upon in Matthew chapter 21 verse 31. I'm sorry, Matthew 12 verse 31. Matthew 12 verse 31. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. This unpardonable sin, and by the way, notice there's only one. A lot of people want to throw a lot of other sins in there to say, well, that's unpardonable. No, no, no. Just one. The blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. This unpardonable sin is the rejection of what the Holy Spirit is doing, bringing Christ to you. If you reject that, then you will not be forgiven your sins. And there comes a point where you can reject the work of the Holy Spirit so much that you pass the point of no return and you are lost for eternity. That, that should cause hearts to tremble. And you know whose hearts tremble more at that than anybody else's? Believers' hearts who don't have to worry about that. Our hearts tremble more for the people who aren't getting it and are not wanting to get it than they themselves will ever tremble for their eternal souls. But that's the reason why we pray for people. And you know, I don't know that you'll ever hear God ever say, don't pray for Him anymore, but there comes a time when you just kind of sense that. But you keep praying for people. Don't stop until God tells you. As a matter of fact, I think in the New Testament, you know, we just, we go to the Lord who is our intercessor. He already knows what we're going to pray for before we even open our mouth. So just go to Him. 
Well, the, relig- the religious leaders of Jesus' day came t- to that point, by the way. In John 12, verse 39. The, relig- the religious leaders, listen, therefore they could not believe. That's what it says of them, the scribes and the Pharisees. They could not believe. You see, at first it was they would not believe. And you have to understand the difference. The would not is the will. They would not believe. And it came down to the fact that they could not believe. Sounds like Pharaoh, doesn't it? Pharaoh whose, whose, hearts, you know, whose heart was hardened against God. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He would not bow to the wishes of Moses and, and, and the God of Moses. Pharaoh hardened his heart until what? Until one day God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Then he could not believe. Well, let's finish Jeremiah. Jeremiah 11, verse 15. What is my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many? And the holy flesh has passed from you. Now that's about sacrifice. That's about offering sacrifices unto God while having done these lewd, uh, really, sexual acts. Because the sexual acts were part of the idol worship. So what is my beloved to do in my house, having done lewd deeds with many, and the holy flesh is passed from you? When you do evil, then you rejoice. The Lord called your name, green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, He has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For the Lord of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they, had, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. Now, the Lord is saying in effect here this. He is saying in effect, do you think you can enter into my house to come and worship me when your life is in rebellion against me, your life is filled with wickedness, and then you come to me and bring me a sacrifice thinking everything is okay? That's what God is saying in all of that. That's a mouthful. But that's what He's saying. Do you think you can just come enter into my house, uh, worship me? Your life is in this rebellion, you're full of wickedness, and, and you're bringing a sacrifice. I mean, certainly God didn't accept their behavior, and yet consider something else. Consider His love for His people, uh, in that in, in all the evil that they were committing before Him, He still called them my beloved. Now, some people would probably say, well, He was just, you know, being facetious. It's not often that God calls them my beloved, but when He calls them that, He's saying, I loved you so much, and yet this is the way you're coming to me. This was also a reminder of their marriage contract, by the way, and how unfaithful they had been to the Lord. They were supposed to be married to the Lord as a people. Throughout Scripture, the olive tree symbolizes the nation of Israel. Here, the olive tree, as will, as will Judah, is seen going through a time of fiery trial. As believers, we too are part of the olive tree of Israel. Romans 11, verses 17 to 22. And if some of the branches were broken off, uh, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. In other words, we as Gentiles coming in and being uh, uh, grafted into the, uh, the olive tree of, of, uh, of uh, Israel. But don't boast against the branches. 
But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. But do not be haughty, but fear. Haughty means to be arrogant. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. See the warning? The warning about uh, uh, conceit and, and arrogance. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fail severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. Well, these, are, these are strong statements here. Old Testament and New Testament. Strong statements. But to those whose hearts will come to the Lord and say, Yes, Lord, this I will do. Grant me, Lord, the strength of your power, of your spirit to do these things. Then every day we have to commit ourselves to doing them. But God says, but I'll be your strength in them. That's why Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, we admit, our, we have to acknowledge our weakness. But when we acknowledge our weakness, God's strength becomes our strength. And then we can accomplish those things that we couldn't do it in our own strength. Well, Baal was a male fertility god that brought forth crops and the rain and sunshine. Or so the people thought, because he didn't, because he's just a, an idol. But what the Lord is doing here is bringing judgment against them and the God they worshipped in the form of droughts and famine. And again, in Deuteronomy 28, we see God warned them of this. Look at verses 17 and 18 of Deuteronomy 28. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. If you'll jump down to verse 23, it says, And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. When they, when, when they had every opportunity to receive the blessings of God, they chose to go with the curses. At least they chose to do the things that would bring about the curses. Lastly, we see how the people responded to the things Jeremiah had said by plotting to kill him. You know, poor Jeremiah. Jeremiah is just a messenger here. But notice in Jeremiah 11 verse 18. Now, the Lord gave me knowledge of it and I know it, for you showed me their doings. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, you who judge righteously, testing the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. (laughs) Jeremiah says, you get them, Lord, you know. They're coming after me. I'm I'm your servant, you know. Nobody else is on my side, so you take care of these weirdos. For to you I have revealed my cause, he says. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anatot, that's his own hometown, by the way, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, lest you die by your hand. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring catastrophe on the men of Anatot, even the year of their punishment. So not content to simply ignore the prophecy... The people from Jeremiah's very own hometown desire to do away with him. Which, by the way, it's interesting. 
Anatot was a priestly village. It was a priestly village. Remember that Jeremiah comes out of that priestly line. Jeremiah asked the Lord to judge them accordingly, which was to some extent a fierce reaction to the plot against him, but God upheld it because he asked for no more than justice. Speaking of Jeremiah. So what a sad day it was when the religious leaders no longer wanted to hear the word of God. There are churches today meeting in all kinds of places, bars and nightclubs. And the Bible isn't, uh, you know, you can bring one if you want, but it's okay because we're not going to really get into the Bible. We're just going to have conversations with each other. We're going to talk about things and, you know, it might turn toward a spiritual uh, conversation, but we're hoping it is, but... Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, it's just ridiculous. People are saying, well, you know, we don't know if really Christianity has really got all the answers. And so maybe we just need to kind of embrace a few other things and bring them all into play here, too, because we're all trying to find, you know, ourselves. We, we don't know anything. Uh, we, we don't have the confidence that we, uh, we thought we should have had. And so well, there's other ways of getting to God, isn't there? I don't know about you, but Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now what do you need to understand that? Seems pretty self-understanding, what Jesus said. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures to close out these ideas. But it's a sad day when this happens. So we close with the understanding that God will take care of his servant Jeremiah. The Lord will deal with the situation and their plan will not come to pass. But it will do us well to understand the distinction of attitude toward those who desire our silence while we are placed in a position of suffering just as Jeremiah was. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 21 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 20, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. It says, For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten. And what, what was Jeremiah saying? Lord, get him. <laughs> and the Lord said, Well, I'm going to get him, but not because you tell me. Anyway, uh, He did not threaten, but uh, committed himself to him who judges righteously, speaking of Jesus, when he suffered. Who who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, but by whose stripes uh, you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Uh, There's a distinction of attitude toward those who desire our silence. And us who are placed in that position of suffering for the sake of Christ. Uh, and so, yeah, Jeremiah is not judged and he's not put in his place, so to speak. He's, you know, the Lord just tells him, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. They're, they're going to get judged anyway for their attitude toward me, not, not because of what they do to you. You see the difference here. I, I want to share... Um, Something from Second Timothy, and I'd like for you to turn there because, gee, here I go, 
kind of giving away something from Sunday, but maybe I can get you to be excited about coming to hear what it's going to, what it's going to be all about. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to close with this, by the way. Because of that attitude of people saying, we're not really sure, not altogether sure about Christ, the Christian life and the Word of God. I mean, this is the postmodern mindset of, of today. All we need to do is open the Bible. Open the Word of God. Don't close it and start having conversation. Open God's Word and see what He says. Paul says in verse 12 of first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's assurance, folks. And every Christian is to have the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Every believer the, the, the attitude is not, is not oh, well, I hope I'm going to be saved, or I hope I'm going to heaven. That's not where our hearts need to be. We need to say, I know in whom I have believed. I know what his promises are. And if he has promised any heaven, it's not because of what I've done. It's everything because of what he's done. But I have that assurance. I don't hope for heaven in the sense of wondering whether I will or not, my hope is an assured hope because of what Jesus Christ has promised and what Jesus Christ keeps in his promises because he never breaks his promise or promises. All right. Well, I'm not going to break my promise. I'm going to get you out of here before 11. Let's pray.